This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. A very big welcome to Dr. Cara Fitzgerald, a long-term colleague in the space of genetics and epigenetics, who I'm delighted to have joining me today. So welcome, Cara. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be with you. I am just thrilled. I wish you were actually here next to me, but I'll take you in South Africa. Yeah. Absolutely. So next time, hopefully we'll be meeting, we'll be in in person Yes. and we'll have lots and lots of time to catch up as we usually do. But in the meantime, in the meantime, so Cara, I have had the privilege and honor of knowing you for some time and following your work for some time. One of the people that in my career in genetics has definitely been an inspiration. So what I would love you to do is rather than me read out a bio, which would really tell them very little about who you really are, would mm-hmm. you mind sharing just a little bit of your story of where you came from, what inspired you, what was that journey and what, that kind of found you in this amazing place where you are, where you're having this incredible impact on what is happening in healthcare. And we'll talk about what that impact is, but maybe let's start just a little bit on what this journey has been for you. Yeah, sure. So we can go way, way, way back. I'm trying to think of where I can start that would be the most useful. I want to say that probably... I was paying attention to, I was, you know, I'll tell you, I was a musician and in love with music and really anticipated sort of spending my life doing that and ended up realizing somewhat, you know, suddenly that in fact, I did, it wasn't a lifestyle that would be sustainable for me. And it was a big about face. But what I did know was that at a very young age, I had found something that I was incredibly passionate about and in love with. And it occurred to me that it was going to take a while. How would I even find something? I remember in my little, you know, 19-year-old brain thinking or 20-year-old brain, like, did I peak at 20? Is this it? But how would I find something? Yeah, right. Typical, like sort of 20-year-old angst. But how would I find something equal to the passion and commitment that I had felt to that career to that world. And um, it took a little bit of time and it took some meditation and it took some, you know, sort of flopping around and which is all good. I knew that I would go to graduate school. I was committed to becoming a doctor. I had established that, but what would that look like? And, you know, around that time, you know, as fate would have it, I developed sort of a classic chronic fatigue and was doctor hopping and and not getting better. So that was one piece. The other piece is that I was working in a health food store. I had grown up in an environment. My mom was, you know, raised us with that kind of attention. One of my my very first job was in a health food co-op when I was a little kid, sort of earning our health, our keep as, as members of this co-op. So this was a world I was familiar with, but when I came back to it as a very, as a young adult, I was wowed by cutting to the chase, I was wowed by nutritional biochemistry almost immediately. I, I, I came upon Udo Erasmus, you know, fats that heal, fats that kill, and, you know, the whole eicosanoid biochemistry really started to keep me up at night. 
So that combined with being sick and not getting better and finally finding a naturopathic physician who, who did get me better, you know, with some very simple interventions like CoQ10 and, and some botanicals and a little bit of dietary change and a little bit of stress reduction, I was on my way. I was on my way. Really, I was better. And that was around the time I was, you know, just ready to stick my toe. Do I go in the direction of becoming a medical doctor? And I learned of naturopathic medicine. And it was clear to me to go in that direction. I would say for anyone who's making that decision, weigh them carefully. There's certainly more options now. There's a wider, broader landscape than there certainly was when I was going to school. But my education in naturopathic medicine was amazing and inspirational. I became aware of Jeff Bland. And again, my nutritional biochemistry world just sort of was on fire. And I was, I was very interested in his work. And actually, Christy Hughes was an inspirational naturopathic doc to me. As Carol Macon was lecturing a lot at the time frequency specific microcurrent and I worked with her. So I, I, you know, our world is getting bigger, but it's still small enough that we have access to the best and brightest minds. Like we can still find mentors. We can still see people lecture. We can still communicate with, you know, brilliance. And that was the case when I was in school. And I knew that I needed to do advanced training. I contemplated going for a PhD. I knew I wouldn't be full-time in clinical medicine, even though I was very committed to having that be a portion of my career. And I just want to reiterate again, Yale, that I was paying attention to, you know, what I felt called to all the time rather than sort of falling into, you know, a, a slide that would direct me. And serendipity also happens with work. And that was how I came to learn of a postdoc position in laboratory science under the direction of Richard Lord, who's a nutritional biochemist at Metametrics Lab, which is now Genova Lab. So I discovered that I needed scientific training. I didn't want to go into just a classic residency position. And this was perfect. Like it was just ridiculously extraordinarily perfect. So four days in a lab steeped in heaven, you know, just what I loved being mentored by, you know, just really one of the most brilliant biochemists and good humans. And I was in clinical practice as well. So the moral of this, I want to say that I wasn't sure that I would find what I wanted within the accredited structure. And I was willing to look outside. If anyone's in this position, you will be surprised if you're willing to knock on some doors and stick your neck out a little bit. People will pay attention Maybe not everyone. I mean, you know, we do get insanely and sort of overwhelmingly busy. And so don't take it personally, but people will pay attention. And we absolutely pay attention to, as my mom used to call, tell me to be the, the squeaky wheel is going to get the grease, right? And so just please, you know, if you're here, if you're trying to manifest, you know, get yourself out there, shoot the email, make the phone call, send a snack. Like we're always looking for food in this clinic with a note, <laughs> you know, whatever you need to do. And that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think it's really important that we pay attention to what we're called to do day by day, step by step. We don't have to have the end design. In fact, I would argue that we want to hold on loosely to the end design because it may uh -huh. look very different. I did not anticipate I would be in a laboratory in Atlanta, Georgia. That was not my training. And Oh, it was just brilliant. And so 
you know, from there I got to, you know, immediately engage in writing and research and just, it just set the stage for me. And I, and I was at the Institute for Functional Medicine, at least through Metametrics there and attending all of the conferences and then doing, you know, some sponsored lunches, et cetera, for Metametrics. I was just immediately into the world, which was felt very vertical. I mean, it was scary. I was working hard and, and, and making sure I had my chops. You have to be willing to work hard, I think, in this space and things will happen. But it was just a really extraordinary time. And, you know, from there, I was asked to write a case studies book and it was, you know, case studies in integrative and functional medicine. And David Jones, who was the, you know, the then head of the Institute for Functional Medicine, didn't know me. And wanted to know who was constructing a collection of cases in functional medicine that would go out to professionals in our space. And he took on mentoring me. And from there, I was asked to join faculty at IFM. I mean, it's it's a pretty extraordinary journey. <laughs> I feel like I should stop, but it's it all started with some willingness to kind of stick my yeah. neck out and pay attention. So I interviewed Dr. Miles Barr on the podcast. And it's so interesting. He touched on something so so similar. And in fact, we, we came up with a term. Well, I have to take credit. I came up with a term. Because what he said is, you know, be bold. And he said, there's seldom, this is what he said. He said, there's seldom one mentor for your entire career, one overwhelming mentor. What there will be is there will be mentors along the way who will fulfill something that you need done or learned at a specific time. And the most important thing is to ask. So I came up with this term of micro mentors because that was my experience that just when I usually hit a wall, which happened to me every couple of years, so I would be super excited, learn a whole lot of new great stuff, feel really excited. And then I would hit this wall, disillusionment, disappointment, feel like I wasn't going anywhere, feel like I was disappointed in what I'd learned. And then suddenly someone would come across my path that that would be able to get me out of that and get me moving again, pivot yeah. me. Or, and, and they may be around for six months. They may be around for three years, but every time it was a case of step in, be bold and ask for that mentorship. And I think I never thought of the snacks. I have bought <laughs> wine. I have bought wine for people before I have bought wine. Before. So I, I think that resonates a lot with what you're saying. And he also said the same thing you said, which is, don't have the end in mind because you have no idea. And if you try stay on yes. a singular path, you will never discover the full potential of what you can be. That's right. That's right. That's right. My mentor, Richard Lord actually spoke about the riches in this field. If we just train our eyes on, on being able to see it's everywhere, you know, when we feel anxious about whether we're going to survive or make enough money and that becomes the dominant conversation, we lose the fact that there is gold all around us. It's an all hands on deck. You know, we need every human being, every human who is interested in this field needs to be in it, committing to that which they are called to. And we will change the paradigm globally if we do that there's oh, just that no is, doubt I, I i wish i'd put that can i put that in quotes i think that's so powerful it's like and you know so when we attend you and i attend a lot of the same conferences and i always come back and they say what did you learn i was like well i, I didn't quite 
get to as many. And they're like, they're like, what do you do? I said, I'll tell you what I do. I make, <laughs> I make tea, right? Because I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. And, I, and there's always like a whole lot of tea and there's a big place. That, and I make tea and I talk to everyone else who comes to make tea. And in that moment of connecting with someone over a cup of tea, because you, you can always say like, oh, I see you don't drink coffee, right? I have met some of the most extraordinary practitioners and scientists in this area. In yeah. fact, I would actually fathom that I would not have the company that I have through Export Genetics now if I had not made tea, because mm. that's how I met my investors. That's how I met what I call my fairy godmother, who really believed in me, many of my mentors. And I think it's about that, what I loved, what you said earlier about being aware, having your eyes open, being open to the conversations, you know, um, not closing it out. Like it, it feels, yeah. everyone counts in this journey. Like yeah. every single person counts yes. when we're collectively trying to shift. Yes, okay, that's I got, exactly more, I got right. more questions here. I got yeah. another question for you. So I really appreciate that though. And I just want to underscore it because yeah. people who are new or think, or, you know, they don't have a fancy, like I'm, I'm, you know, fortunate to be able to teach at, at IFM and, you know, that's sort of looked at as special and people may discount who they are. And if you're doing that, that is a mistake. That's just simply not correct on this journey. You and your passion and your insight and your ability is essential to our success. Absolutely. And we're all on different journeys and we're all going to, yeah. and I think, you know. As we um, should be. As we should be, because we're yeah. all collectively in it. And I think, so what, here's what I love about the work you do. Even as a naturopathic physician, and even in your work in IFM on faculty and the books you've written and the, all of that, you have always challenged the paradigm of what was happening even within naturopathy even within functional medicine even within practice and when I look at how you run your practice and how you bring in practitioners to learn it's quite unique I mean you for me are the perfect example of a practitioner scientist I think that's very very true I mean I think you live really comfortably in both worlds and not everyone does but you have gone further than that. When I look at, I mean, I obviously get all your communications and all your emails and newsletters, and I see how you have set up your practice to be able to mentor and grow. And I, I, it's just extraordinary. Can you speak to a little bit about how you feel you have yeah. been able to challenge the way things are normally done and create a different way of doing things? I think it's because my career has been outside of the box from the get-go. So I was never sitting in the box. And I think that that makes it easier. And again, it's just doing the next right thing, you know, the next step in front of me. I mean, so for instance, at the laboratory, one of my roles there was to consult physicians around the world on their laboratory findings. Metametrics was Patrick Hannaway said once, it was so funny. And I was like, yes, that's what we are. He's like, you're a research lab doing, a, you know, an occasional clinical test. <laughs> and, and that's because Andy Brawley. <laughs> I don't know if he meant it like that, but yeah, I was like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. We don't get our shit together on the, you know, on the business end, perhaps as much as we should be. But, um, <laughs> but we had a, we really had, there was a big openness directed by Andy and, and Carolyn, the owners of the company. And Andy is a scientist. And for us to dig deep, and this was like a real open 
open invitation and we had, you know, science rounds and Richard Lord was, you know, the spearheaded the laboratory textbook. And we were spending a lot of time drilling down and I got to drill down into the science when I would consult with clinicians. And so one of the things I discovered as I was doing that was that consulting with clinicians and putting together actionable interventions with them and so forth was doable. And so when I did leave the lab. And when I did create my own clinic practice, it was, it just went without saying that I would do telemedicine. Like, why not? Granted, I wasn't working with patients in the laboratory setting, but I could see that they were able to take what I was doing and translate it to their patient care and that this was a possible paradigm. So for that reason, it never occurred to me not to do that. So I didn't limit myself to my own, you know, rather small community here. I just continued to allow myself to be available to consult with the world. And so that was a first step that set my practice kind of aside from other people's at the time. Now, of course, more and more of us are doing that and it's absolutely reasonable. The other difference for me was that I knew we needed mentorship. All of us who are teaching at some level know that we need to extend it. But when you have just one person at a time coming in and sitting with me, which is good fun. I love it. It's a lot of, it's just really nice having somebody to hang out with. And, you know, I'll always have them look stuff up for me. Like they really, they need to come prepared and ready to dig in. (laughs) We know we needed more than what we were able to do. And it occurred to me one day, I had written this case book. When you write cases, you have to polish them. They're very tight. And when someone reads that, probably in part, they're thinking, wow, these doctors are all, you know, brilliant. You know, they're just hitting it out of the park with every patient from the word go and knowing exactly what to do. No, that's a case that's that's a case that's been gleaned. Otherwise, you would never read it and it would be hundreds of pages mm. long. And I had an epiphany at some point that we just needed to let people see that. Like let's witness the practice of medicine. HIPAA compliant, obviously. And that's what prompted this sort of virtual mentorship. We were already doing things virtually because that was kind of the paradigm I came from. And so our clinical rounds meetings were are on Zoom, our physicians rounds are on Zoom. And and it just like let's just hit the hit the light. Let's just turn it on and let people come in. They're going to see us making sausage. As we say, you know, it's a little, you know, maybe we'll feel self-conscious that we don't have all the answers all the time, you know, and this is how we move through cases. And this is how our team collaborates. And, you know, this is how we get through. We tried one EMR. We absolutely failed. We had to move to another. We're vetting them. Do we like this product? Don't we like that product? What are we doing for labs? I mean, all of those questions we all have all of the time. What the heck does this mean? You know, what tests am I going to order? Just all of that. Let's just invite other practitioners in to see us getting through that and have an opportunity to ask questions. And that's how that happened. It was born out of a need, a recognized need, and just sort of like, let's just shut our eyes and let's just jump in. And it's been really extraordinary. And I want to give a shout out specifically to the people who helped manifest that. And that's Romilly Hodges, who worked tirelessly at creating the platform for that, and Lara Zakaria and Karen Erb. And so like that that infrastructure was essential. So I had this vision, right? But then you actually have but to make it happen. Have, have the yeah. team that helped you bring into vision. Yeah. So I want to talk about genetics and epigenetics. This is the Power of Genetics mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. But just before we get there, I want to wrap up a little bit this amazing conversation that we're having and just tie it up with one more question. And that is, you know, the last conference I attended in person was, I actually saw you. We had lunch. Between, yeah, we had lunch. That's right. 
yeah. in person at a conference. That's right. That's imagine, right. imagine that. I know. Anyway, imagine I think, that I think we spoke days. about your daughter more than we spoke about India. Did we? But, but, um, <laughs> yeah. I hope we did. But thinking about that conference and the amazing practitioners who are there, who are earlier on in their journey than you and I. Yeah. What is the advice that you would want to give them to inspire them to say, this is what you need to think Mm -hmm. about. This is what you need to do. I know we've touched on it, but let's just get a nice summary together and then we'll, we can move on. Yeah. Right. So I'm a new practitioner. You know, if I'm at a conference, like the one that we were, you know, I would probably be going to the booths. I mean, pay attention to who's doing what that you're excited about so that you can pull that. So you can follow that a little bit further. I think that I would be putting some time in doing that. What interests me? At the laboratory, one of our jobs was to blog, which it wasn't a job. Like we could blog on whatever we wanted. I remember writing a blog called, you know, Viva La IGA or something like that. I mean, like he, we, we, we just had this, we could be as creative as we wanted to, you know, it was yeah. so funny. Viva La Commensal IGA, it was specifically good. I, you know, was it? No, it doesn't make sense. Commensal IGA. And, all right, now I'm going to have to pull up whatever the blog was. But biofilms, that would that's what it was. Biofilms, commensal biofilms. Yeah. So anyway, one of our jobs was to do that. So in addition to figuring out what you're into, write about it. You know, write about it. So after I left the lab, I invested in a nice website. That was my biggest investment. That's, my, that's your storefront these days. That's your mm-hmm. storefront yeah. is your website. And so I did invest in that. And I started to blog. Basically to my mom. Like she was the one who read it. She's a clinical APRN. So she was, you know, with what I was writing and she would send me back edits and so forth. But, um, would she, would she comment? Would she like, oh, that wasn't yes, good enough, Tara. Yes, Can you have another yes, go at that? Yeah. She, wait, she might tell me, she, she might tell, yeah, she, right, 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 right. Right. She might correct it for me. And uh, which is great. She has a background in English too. I, I had no problem with that. And an, another early reader of the content I sent out was Tom Salt. So basically I had Dr. Tom was a really near and dear friend who challenged me a lot. And, and Tom, Tom challenges you. He's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, are yeah. actually working with Tom now and he, he's oh, fantastic. He, yeah. he just the first quote, he, I said, he said, I don't believe in genetics. It's your job to change my mind. Yeah, that, yeah, and, and I was exactly like, okay, okay, good. that's good. Well, I managed to change his mind. He's working with our tests, so I must have done something right. Okay, that's amazing. That's, <laughs> so you us- know what? That's very impressive. It's really impressive. Yes, so the thing blog. is, so- is that it's okay if no one's reading it. Really, I feel like I'm a walking cliche on this podcast, but the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. It is okay if the only reader is your mom. Or maybe it's Instagram, that's your forum, or maybe it's Twitter, whatever. Find your forum, do it, and do it consistently, and let go. Really let go. And that's how you're going to begin to make your imprint. Maybe you like doing Instagram Live or or whatever. So in general, that's what worked for me. I will say, though, the caveat there is that doesn't work for all the clinicians in my practice. Not Mm -hmm. everybody wants to jump into that model. In fact, arguably like probably at least half or more than half and almost all the docs, it doesn't come naturally to. Mm. And so we've got like, we've got two new doctors on board and Lara, who's kind of brilliant at, at this, she's doing little interviews with them. So they're more comfortable. So maybe you, if you're uncomfortable, maybe you have someone interview you. If you are still too uncomfortable to do it, then what are you comfortable with that? So that would be a reasonable question. You don't have to force yourself into a box that doesn't work for you, but it is up to you because no one's going to do this for you to figure out what you are comfortable with. And that might be local. You know, one of our doctors here is 
more local centric and there's plenty of people in Connecticut, you know, so pay attention. There's a few ideas. I think that's, that's great. I wish someone had told me that. Oh, well, I suppose when I started off, I don't think there was social media. Yeah. I mean, there right, must have right. been Facebook, but I don't think there was more than that. Right. It, was, it wasn't a tool we were leaning on no, as much, but blogging no. was, was a thing. Yeah. But I remember going to Ruth DeBusk and saying, Ruth, I have an idea for a book, but no one knows who I am. So please can we write a book together? So then someone will know. Who I, and and it's, it's that, right? It's, yeah. it's about That's a really good point. out there. Yeah. Putting yeah, yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. out there. And if you can't do it yourself, then hang on to someone else until you can find your own voice. I think yeah. maybe my just my two cents worth. All right, let's finish off by talking about our work. So mm-hmm. for those of you that don't know, Kara and I are like two sides of a coin. We're like the yin and yang of genetics, but not entirely, really, actually, because not really. That actually was a really bad analogy. So you're pretty good right. But so where I'm coming from, obviously, is my, where my work began for the first like 15 years was this concept of genetic variation. We look at sequence, we look at SNPs, and we try to get insights and understanding from a genetic test on how that may impact biochemistry and physiology. The one thing Cara and I have in common is this absolute deep passion and commitment to nutritional biochemistry. And, you know, most of my work up until about five years ago focused on how does genetic variation impact nutritional biochemistry or biochemistry. And then, you know, my kind of segue from that was, so I call that insight, let's get insight. And the second part of the equation, obviously, is action. And the second part says, in the work I do, is how do we use nutrition, diet, lifestyle, supplements, meditation, anything we can get our hands on, really, to change the way genes express themselves? Because that is where I believe the true, true power of nutrition and lifestyle medicine really lives. And that's really where almost now you... So it's it's like a segue into... Your work. So I kind of go, you need to understand how nutrition changes gene expression. And then you kind of take her and say, you know what, guys, I'm actually building up that science. So, so maybe you can just talk a yeah. little bit. This isn't a science podcast, but I'd love to just talk a little bit about if you can just also show like that connection between our journeys of how you are now growing that next part of the journey, really. Yeah. God, it's really amazing. I'm with you on wanting to track genetic expression and biochemistry. And I mean, that whole cascade of events. I'm with you. That's exactly in lockstep with my career. So we map out the human genome in the early 2000s and we realize it's way simpler and smaller than we anticipated. And there isn't the answer of, okay, this gene causes this disease. So what we expected to be able to harness from this, we didn't. And from that, was born the field of epigenetics. Really, actually, epigenetics was around a lot longer, but it pushed it into the fore because we needed then to know, well, if it isn't true, you know, that we can chase diabetes back to a single genetic mutation or cardiovascular disease too, and it's way more complicated, we need to begin to think about what regulates genetic expression, and that's the field of epigenetics. And so, I was primed to move into the field because of my background in laboratory science. It's dense though. And it was about 2013 where I really did put the time into getting into the literature and and the, and the bulk of the literature that was out at the time and that I was interested in was looking at cancer. So cancer is, you know, the oncology scientists have really dove in deeply into looking at genetic expression and cancer very exquisitely takes it over. They hijack epigenetics. They take over the enzymes. They just take over the whole kit and caboodle and turn 
pro-cancer genes off, they turn anti-cancer genes on. Pro-cancer genes, they turn on. So they push cancer yes. forward and anti-cancer yes. genes, they yes. turn yes. off. When I read that, and, and by and large, the best studied epigenetic mechanism, there are many of them, is DNA methylation. And we, you know that our field is, is awash in interest in the, in the methylation cycle and the various you know, methyltransferase enzymes, that you know, of the, which there are hundreds. And we spend a lot of time kind of massaging and optimizing methylation. So my massive question at the time was, while there are regions of increased methylation in cancer and there are regions of decreased methylation, and how are we dealing with this? And that was a massive massive question for me. Am I doing right by my patients? Am I taking care of my patients in the way that I should in light of this new ability for us to look this carefully at epigenetic expression? And it's not just cancer. That was my entry into the conversation. Mm. If you look at every chronic disease and if you look at COVID, so even when you look at infectious diseases, and if you look at aging itself, so aging, which is the biggest risk factor for all of these diseases, you'll see kind of shared changes to epigenetic expression. And Romilly Hodges, who I mentioned earlier with Clinic Immersion, she is our nutrition director and just she's been just kind of my soul sister in a lot of our journeys. And she and I began to dialogue about this. And, you know, over a chunk of time, we ended up creating a program that we could use in practice, a diet and lifestyle program specifically around addressing epigenetics because we wanted to do something a little bit more nuanced and really take care of our patients in that way. We ended up releasing it in an ebook and people were interested. Of course, I, I, I taught on it over in South Africa. And that's when you and I got to, well, one of the times that you and I got to hang out. In fact, yeah. perhaps we first met when I was in South Africa, not at that conference. We knew each other already, but clinicians were very interested. But the next question was, how do we put our money to our mouths here? Like, how do we know? We think we're changing epigenetics, but to, to actually measure epigenetics at that point, it was limited to the research setting. And then, so really, I want to say, I have to give a deep, 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 deep shout out to Brent Eck, who's the CEO at Metagenics, because he gave us a full unrestricted grant to study this in a research institute, in the Health God Institute, a randomized control trial, actually looking at our study as compared to people who did not receive the intervention. Uh, We had a team of nutritionists supporting our study people. They did a diet, lifestyle, you know, an exercise, meditation, and we tracked sleep and we gave them a probiotic and we gave them a greens powder and we measured a big chunk of their epigenome and finding that we've published on right now and and hopefully we'll have more publications, but things have been really busy. The first finding that we discovered is that the biological age, which is measured via changes to DNA methylation, our study participants got a lot younger as compared to control. So in an eight-week intervention, they got over three years younger as compared to our control group. And, you know, it's the first study of its kind. It's just kind of extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I had a conversation with Jeff Bland and he said, oh, there are four studies around epigenetics and diet. I was like, and yours is like, the last and best, you know, like I'm like four. Okay, we need to. You need to carry know, on working. Four. Isn't that amazing? Well, we are. We are. We we're, we're actually recruiting. Some more work on this yeah. yeah, and All we right. we are doing it. So we're the yeah. first. I'll, I'll say we're the first of its kind. We're the first control trial 
So that's how we're the first control trial. So they four studies. There are no other control trials. Exactly, exactly. So we're the first and only control trial right now. But, you know, tomorrow there there could be a second. But yeah, it's a new field. Oh, I hope so. But I mean, this is a new field. But I I mean, it comes, I mean, we don't have much more time. So we're going to start. Yep. Yep. Uh, bring it down. But I just, you know, I want to just salute you and your team because it comes back to what I kind of have said a couple of times in this conversation, which is, you know, you have to have courage and you have to have boldness. It sounds like Star Trek, right? To go where no one's gone before and to push out those boundaries as a practitioner scientist. And what I love about you saying is like there was a question I, I wanted to answer and I didn't know the answer. And I took it upon myself to go and try and find. So you, a practitioner, went out to do one of the most important studies that's in the industry. It's like amazing. And I think that that's the inspiration I want to pass on is just because you're a practitioner, just because you're starting out in your journey, Yeah. what is possible for you, whether you write 30 books and do the world stage and everything, or whether you become a practitioner scientist like Cara, like if you're awake and you're listening and you're paying attention, which is, I think, your overall message. And if you have the courage and the boldness to step in, this is what you can do. You you can start a new conversation in nutrition, which essentially is what you have done. It's so, it's just tremendously exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. We're absolutely grateful to be a part of it. And, you know, I encourage everyone listening to join us. We're all walking together. Absolutely. So I look forward to maybe in another year's time to having another call with you and let's see, because I, I do, I mean, we will see an explosion in this field and we will see your name there. I'm sure up in lights a whole lot and your team and your team. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and as we, and, and, you know, this is a huge impact on the work I do and the direction we will go. So we are watching very closely and we are following you very closely. So thank you very much, Cara, for the work you're doing. Well, with that little teaser, I definitely want to hear, I have to say, so you can t- share with me at some point how this has influenced and where you guys are going. Yeah, we'll, we'll I'm keep very that one excited. <laughs> we'll keep that one offline. Hopefully we'll be having a coffee or a matcha or something soon or a glass of wine and, and be able to, to talk that through. But thank you so much for your time today. And I really enjoyed our conversation. I always do, but I'm really glad we get to share it with everyone else today as well. Awesome. Big hugs to you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.